welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. Merry Christmas, Timothy. Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Day. Woo! Woo! Jingle bells, eggnog, <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah. Christmas trees. I mean, I don't know not everyone celebrates Christmas. I mean, sure, a lot of people are, you know, just going to the movies or going to Chinese food today or something, which is totally awesome as well. But, uh, but yeah. even if you don't celebrate Christmas, people are at least sitting around enjoying Christmas Day, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but it's such a capitalist holiday that it's really just a celebration of uh, buying gifts, right? <laughs> Right. Buying, buying things you don't need. Right. I mean, I just, I'm just so like, you know, as a kid, the Christmas morning experience was a thing for me. So I still do the Christmas morning thing just with my wife. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. So, your PJs. Yeah. PJs. And we'll, you know, exchange our little gifts and then we just like watch movies and play video games um, and listen to Christmas music. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. It's just like we were like five again or, or whatever. Uh, so it's fun. Yeah, since I grew up, I don't do the morning thing so much as I just drive to my parents' house in Cupertino oh, around nice. like 11 o'clock and we'll usually do like a lunch and then we'll open gifts like later on. Like the, oh. the days of me waking up early and like going to open up gifts is, are long gone, but I do have fond memories of it. We're such big kids, me and my wife. <laughs> so we'll, we, we do our own stockings for each other. Yeah. So we'll, it'll be the race to whoever gets up earliest to put out the other person's stocking first and then we'll say Santa came and then, you know, the other one will go and do the same for the other person and then we'll make coffee and then we'll hand our stockings to each other. And then that's like our kind of our big gift giving thing. And then maybe we got each other one other thing, you know, that sounds whatever. pretty great. Yeah. We're just a couple Christmas nerds over at our house, but you know, yeah, it's funny. You guys um, have to have kids. We, yeah, we don't, I don't know. We, we, we're happy doing it for ourselves because <laughs> then we'd have to do it for our kids and then they would get all the toys, you know, come on, we want the toys. Anyways, this week is like really, oh my gosh, I think our fans of the show or our listeners um, are in for a treat. So what we're going to do over the next two episodes, uh, Christmas episode, this one, and then our New Year's episode is have past guests come back on and just fill us in with what's going on in their lives. And Really, when we reached out to this list of people, we had no idea what was happening. Um, I think we have s some friendships with these people, so we have an inkling of what's going on in their lives, but we really didn't know. It's in, in some cases, it's been almost two years since we talked to people, so it was fun to catch up and find out what they're up to and has anything changed or is everything still the same? Um, you yeah. know, and comparing like, who we are two years ago or two and a half years ago when the podcast started, I wonder what it would be like to come back on and, and, and reintroduce ourselves to the world. What has changed with us? Do you think? Right. Oh, from the two years ago. Yeah. From like the, our first appearance on the podcast, our first appearance on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, made um, shorts, shorts, several shorts, each of us. I've made two, three shorts, I guess. Or maybe four short, no, three shorts, I suppose. I was working on the same feature when I started yeah. the podcast as I am now. I had just written the first draft, I think, or maybe it already been a year old. I can't remember, but, but yeah, same movie. And then you were making straight a uh, spirit machine. Right? I was like, yeah, halfway through finishing the spirit machine, 
We had yeah. just finished shooting Over My Dead Body together, I believe. Yeah, but then you hadn't really directed that many commercials at that time. Maybe like one or two, I think. Yeah, not much at all. I was just like building my reel. Yeah. You, like I remember you were going out to LA companies with like loan and like a sample from Spirit Machine and then <laughs> yeah, one pretty much. other thing. I was sitting in a car outside of one of the production companies editing one of the first episodes of our podcast. Yeah. Wow. Cause, cause then, you know, since then you've like done like 10, no, no, more like 5, 25. No, no. 30 commercials <laughs> is that right is that 30 uh, yeah i mean that sounds about right because how many you did like what how many cheese sweetos spots was it like four i think there's six of those damn so six sweetos mm-hmm. and then the I cisco, cisco i did milk. milk i did tipping point i did yep. 20 tostitos and then two, two xfinity, xfinity. Yep. whatever that math is Jeez, that's over 30 for sure. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I mean, if you look at things <laughs> over the course of time, we've accomplished a lot, but week week in and week out, it's a little like looking in the mirror and not really right. seeing a lot of change. Yeah, I feel like you've accomplished more than I have in the last uh, last two years or whatever, wow. just because of all the commercial directing and everything. I mean... If this was a race, I think you would be ahead right now, so don't worry. Well, I guess it depends on like what we're running for. <laughs> like if, if you're talking yeah. about a career as a professional director, I feel like you've already won. If you're talking about like making our first feature, then maybe I'm ahead. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny to, to look at it and talk about it in that way because... You know, we've both grown and both both changed, but we've in just different ways and towards different goals. You know, yeah, exactly. Like even though we're both in the Bay Area and we have a lot of the same circles, I feel like we we're in different lanes. Right. And so yeah. sometimes it is hard not to like just stay in in my lane when I'm talking to you because I feel like right. oh yeah, Ulrich's in a lane that I should be in. Right. And I feel the same about you. Like I should be doing commercial (laughs) jobs or do at least a spec or something. And, you know, the more that I talk about and work on my feature, I just realize I have this mountain of work to do and I I need to be doing that stuff every day and not focusing on the commercial stuff, you know, and other projects. Cause you're right. It's just going to get distracting. And I got a long, a long road to go, you know, with this, the money's not going to just come out of nowhere. Yeah. So Stay yeah. in your lane. Stay in my lane. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the year in advice for everyone. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Should we just get to our first guest? Yeah, let's do it. And this is Lisa, right? Is that what we're going to start yeah, with? So Lisa Donato was um, our guest way back in episode 40, I think we said. Yeah, episode 40. She's a filmmaker that I met here in San Francisco, and she moved to Austin like recently to when she, we had her on the podcast. I think she'd been there for like six months or something. She talked about her journey as a director and her journey to Austin and what she was learning Uh, working in this new market and stuff, I think a little bit. It was a great conversation, but like now, two years later, basically, like hearing what what she's doing and where she is now, it's very interesting, very different. Let's jump into it. Up next, we have Lisa Donato, who was a guest way back in episode 40. And um, she is a filmmaker in Austin. And when she was on, we talked to her about her journey from Los Angeles to the Bay Area and then to Austin. And I think when we talked to her, she may have been in Austin for less than a year, right? Yeah, I think it was pretty fresh at that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then it's been 
a year and a half since we talked to her. So it'll be interesting to hear what's changed in her life. Yeah, I've heard some things from her, some exciting things that have happened. She wrote a movie that was made and then premiered at South by Southwest last year, which is pretty amazing. And then she's, you know, made a short, at least one short since then. And the one that I watched and it was awesome. I, th- I think it's still just in the festival circuit right now. But yeah, lots going on with her. So I'm I'm really curious. And I'm wondering, because didn't she talk about like maybe moving back to Los Angeles a little bit at some point from Austin? Or am hmm. I remembering that, making that up? I don't remember her saying that. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that she was thinking about it. I don't know. Maybe that was something that she talked about off air. But um, I'm curious <laughs> right. if she's still thinking about that or not. If uh, Or if Austin is just like... Now her complete home, and yeah. she's totally good there. Now, remember at the end of the episode, we were talking to her about her movie, and she hadn't put it up online yet, and we were oh, like, just right. do it. Do it before we go live. And then she did end up going live with her film, but I noticed on our show notes that it's locked again on Vimeo, that you oh. need a password. Huh. So I wonder what happened. <laughs> I wonder why. what is up with that. That's really interesting. Because it's so different than than our approaches to movies. You know, we just put yeah. them out in the world. I'm sure it's probably something like where she got some kind of uh, deal or some sort of distribution of some kind or somebody, somebody has exclusively somewhere. The other one thing that I forgot to tell you when I met with Jason Hello. was he... Hey, hey, Lisa, hey, welcome. Hey, how's it going? I, was, I just want to finish the story really quick. So I met with a Jason Headley who was on the podcast and I was telling him like about my film, The Spirit Machine. And I said, yeah, it's up online right now, but I really hate it. And he's like, why did you release it if you hate it? And, was, and I realized that that was probably a philosophy of a lot of people. But because we were just talking about how your film, Lisa, is is private again we talked about this last time you were on the podcast oh my god yeah what's up with that lisa <laughs> hey i'm 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 going into production on my sixth film we don't need to talk about <laughs> wait so you're hiding this one you're like oh i'm embarrassed by this no now? i just i don't know kind of kind <laughs> of maybe i'm not sure i actually really like this i is... was thinking about it last night i was thinking because i was looking at my website and i noticed that it was private again i don't remember when i made it private again but i i'm gonna make it unprivate <laughs> i go back and forth with this film all the time it was it just you think something like you just felt like you didn't want people to see it is that because i thought maybe it got distribution somewhere and it wasn't you couldn't allow it to have it be public anymore or something that like you had to have it private for some reason no but. i just feel like i have learned a lot since then and i just don't feel like it's reflective of my work right now <laughs> interesting yeah that's funny. Yeah. It's so different from Timothy and I's perspective. Like, we just release everything and just push everything out into the world. And we're just like, ah, there it is. That's what, yep. that's what happened. It's in places now that I can't take it down. It just it exists in the world. <laughs> right. And you'll go find it. Yeah. Well, I'll, ta- I'll take it down again or put it up. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, the last time we back. talked to you was March 2016. Wow. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. Episode 40. We're on episode 133 now. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, and I love the Facebook group that you guys just created, too. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It seems to really be working. Although, I just accept everyone that says that they want to be a part of the group and that's backfired on me a few times because people just join and then like put kind of like an advertisement up like check out this uh webinar or check out this movie yeah and i've just now been deleting those 
And uh, I would think I'm gonna have to start chastising people and telling them that's not cool. And then blocking people that are multiple offenders. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a part of a few groups that do this thing where they put a disclaimer at the top, like, you know, this is not for self-promotion. This is about having discussions, but like they, they dedicate one day a week for promotion. So like every, you know, I don't know, Thursday or something, you're allowed to talk about what, what you have going on. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I just don't, yeah. I don't feel like it's a place yeah, to do it. Okay. So anyways, what's going on with you? What's going yeah, on? Austin? What's, what's happened <laughs> since we've up. talked to you a lot, I imagine. Um, well, let's see. I, I'm in Austin right now. I moved here two years ago, not by choice, just kind of my, my wife's dad got sick and we came out here to take care of him and we went through all that. But you know, I've, I'm going into production on my sixth short film. It's going to be filmed here in Austin in January. And right after that film, I'm going to be moving to L.A. Um, full time. So oh, <laughs> making wow. a move. See, I told you, Timothy, I thought yeah, that's all the case. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I don't think you you were thinking about that when we talked to you last time, right? Uh, I think I was thinking about it. I was just, you know. You were, okay. Yeah, um, I lived in L.A. Because remind me, you started in L.A. and then you came to the Bay Area. Then you went to Austin and now you're going back to L.A. Yeah, I mean, I started in kind of Denver. I had a commercial advertising career there and then went to LA for like, you know, under two years and basically ran out of all my money (laughs) and then went to, went to the Bay and did more corporate work. And then now I'm in Austin. Cool. So going, going to LA, I got, I got signed, I got representation. So that's why I'm. Wow. Congratulations. And did your representation say you should come out to LA? They basically had an end of year, um, They've been testing me. I haven't. I hadn't officially signed uh, in 2017. I, I I co-wrote a feature film that premiered at South by Southwest, and ended up having Ooh. a fantastic festival run. And it's going to be on Amazon in January. And so nice. I'd been going back to LA once a month, and then they'd been setting me up with meetings, and I've been, you know, doing a week of meetings in LA, and they've been going really well. And so. Uh, just recently they called me and they're like, Hey, we're having an end of year with all of our clients. And, and I was driving and they said, we're going to, we're talking to the people and telling them who we're dropping and who we're basically signing. And so I was like, Oh, I'm getting dropped. I'm like, they're not going to sign me. (laughs) So I pulled over and I just had all this emotion, you know, just, you know, I was tearing up, I was getting ready. They're like, well, we basically want to prioritize you for the first six months of 2018, which means you have to be in LA and Wow. wow, nice. So, okay, well, let's back yeah. up for a second. What what kind of representation is this? Uh, so it's a manager uh, and a literary agent. for, um, And both of them, the goal is to get me um, staffed as a TV writer or to sell, you know, hopefully sell a TV show in the long run. Nice. Okay, is, is that kind of like the culture right now with writers is that if you get an agent or a manager that kind of try to get, get you into TV less than like writing a spec script or get you like a studio writing job. Yeah. It feels like it, especially just, you know, cause there's just a big demand for female writers, talented female writers that have, you know, a unique perspective. And so TV is, is just hot right now, just in general. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did this all come about? So and was South by Southwest directly responsible for not it? Not really. Actually, you know the the script that I co-wrote, Signature Move, the movie. I co-wrote it with Fazia. So Fazia and I, you know, she she started in Sugar Hiccup, goes back to the beginning. We ended up 
collaborating on you know four more projects together and one of that one of those was was co-writing this feature film and the the screenplay ended up getting invited to the Tribeca marketplace and it got pitched it got shopped around a company in Chicago new city ended up seeing it and wanting to bring it to Chicago to make it they had a connection with Michael Shannon the Michael Shannon the actor and he came on as an executive producer and then you know through all of that Fazia got representation. And so I'd been hanging out with her so much (laughs) that they started asking me for my catalog and, you know, what ideas I had. And, you know, I basically put together like a Dropbox link um, and and organized all these folders of everything I'd ever written, screenplays, uh, pilot scripts, poems, essays, like everything. And they took a couple of months, sorted, went through all of it, and they basically agreed that they wanted to um, bring me into the fold, I guess. Nice. That's the same representation that Fazia yeah. has. And so uh, initially they okay. were repping us as um, as a team and yeah. also her individually. And so I was, you know, going to meetings and then I was doing really well in these. They're called generals. I don't know if you guys have done that out in L.A. yet. Hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would we on haven't one. done it, but we've heard <laughs> okay. about it. Oh, you did one? Yeah. yeah. It was also known as the water bottle tour. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Nice. So I was going to LA and I was I was doing a ton of generals. I mean, I would I'd say I've done like 25 now. And basically, you know, you just go there and you tell your story and you just kind of start the relationship. Most of the time, people fall asleep in the meeting. <laughs> it seems like they like <laughs> Um but I had such a it, a compelling story about what I'd survived in 2015 and 2016 out in Texas. So everybody was really interested and that happened to be my pilot script as well that I was like sending that my manager was sending to people or my literary agent was sending to people asking if they wanted to meet with me or not. And so they say yes or no. And then I'm telling the story and they're like, this is an amazing idea and it's just a good story. And so that has just like progressed me into new territory. So now I'm pitching. I'm in pitch zone. Wow, nice. Well, I have two questions. First off, um, what what is the company that you're represented by or, or about to be represented by? Can you say? Yeah, the the people that are like my manager and literary agent. Yeah, yeah. So manager team, his name is Tim Honigman, and he's with Mainstay Entertainment. He just left and went to Mainstay. And then the literary agent is Kaplan, Kaplan Staler Agency. Nice, awesome. And then the other question is, what what is a story? Have we heard part of this uh, on the podcast at all, or is this something else that's happened since then? Like, can can you tell us the story that's that's been compelling um, to people? Yeah, so it's it's basically leaving San Francisco and um, agreeing to be the caretaker for um, my wife's dad, who's a very you know he he basically got sick. He went to the World Cup in 2014 in July came back and slowly started losing his um, mind and and his guess, you know, just his body started degenerating. And he was a very homophobic man. He was a very kind of just, you know, the typical Southern man the, that came from the heartbeat of the patriarch, probably where it started on some level. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. And so through we had, we had, you know, Heather and I have been together for nine years now. And her father and I had, had 
just did not have a relationship. It was so tense. It was one of our biggest fights throughout our relationship. And he just never acknowledged me. And, and I, I put a lot of pressure on her to like, you know, maybe stop talking to him. And it was just a lot of friction. So now, you know, these lesbians are leaving the Bay to go take care of this homophobic man in his house. And what happened is as he started losing his mind, you know, very slowly, he kind of, it felt like his belief systems began to unravel and we literally became best friends through this entire process. And oh wow, it's just, yeah, it was so many things happened in this, in these two years, like just, just a lot of, you know, kind of when it rains, it pours kind of thing, you know? And, uh, I was, I was very resentful by the whole experience because it was taking me out of my filmmaking path. But really what happened, it was, I was like living like a human and like it was giving me all this material to create a story, <laughs> right. which I didn't realize at the time, but you know. We forget to do that sometimes, just yeah, exactly. be humans. That's where yeah. we draw the material to, to tell our stories from. Right. You know, it's funny because when I first went to LA, I met the director of Jerry Maguire. I can't remember his name. Cameron Crowe, right? Um, maybe it was a producer. It was a producer of Jerry Maguire. And... It was like the first person, the first Hollywood party that I went to, the first person that I asked for advice. I was like, I want to be a director. You know, what's what's some advice you'd give me? He's like, you know, don't live life as a filmmaker, live it as a human. And I, that never hmm. made sense to me. I was like, what? <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> like, And I yeah. think back on that advice now and it was just, God, it's just, it was some of the best advice I've had since then. So. Yeah, I heard the the writer, uh, I don't remember who it is, and I'm going to do the same thing as you. I'm just going to just name people. Uh, the writer of Batman, Dark Knight s- series, he did like a big, long just tour of the world before he ever started writing. And he he says that a lot of the things that he picked up while he was like out in the world is what ended up in his movies and like why his movies are the way they are. So like his advice was kind of the same thing. It's like, you just got to go out there and you got to live life before you can go, you can start telling stories. And I think Werner Herzog probably says a lot about that too. You took his master class, Ulrich. What did he say? Didn't he say something? About yeah. That? He says lots of crazy things um, <laughs> about how you should travel the world. And, you know, he, he has his, um, his students of his rogue filmmaker thing that I don't think, I don't know if it still exists, but they, you, part of the assignment is you had to walk from like one state to another state, you know, um, without nice. like driving or yeah. w- without using your own money or like maybe you have like to barter your way from one place to the other. Like you can hitchhike and stuff like that, but, uh, but you weren't supposed to fly or, or whatever. You have to go on foot or something. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, he's always about like like taking in experiences and living life and being a human, you know, in the world, yeah. you know. On the other side, you could just work at a video store and make movies like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's like more homage style of filmmaking. Yeah. But I think that's what ends up happening. If your whole world is film, then all the language of your film is just going to be other films, right? But if right. you draw from life, then it's just it's a different style of filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's such a simple advice, but it's just, you know, it means a lot. So I have a couple of questions. Since we had you on in March, how many short films have you made? Um, let's see. Well, so I'm going into I'm going into my into production on my sixth. So yeah, because in our show notes we had Sugar Hiccup embedded into it. You had finished uh-huh. that, and then it says your upcoming projects were Spunkle, In Bed, and Signature Move. Okay. 
Yeah, so In Bed is a, a, a short that I had written and then produced, and somebody else directed that, uh, and uh, Layla Vuitton. And then, yeah, Signature Move was the feature, Spunk All We Finished, that did really, really well in the, the film festival circuit. Actually won <laughs> the best LGBT short at the Emerging Filmmaker at Cannes this year. Oh, nice. Really cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And then, let's see, I just wrapped a film called Foxy Trot that was filmed in Austin. That was a story that I had published in the LA Times, a personal essay, and then we ended up make, turning it into a short film. And then... Yeah, which the version you showed me was awesome, by the way. And, oh, yeah, uh, that's right. You yeah, I can't it. wait to see the the final, what, what you ended up, you know, being, being the final yeah. movie. I'm having a hard time with that film, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Yeah. With, with like just with personally, or like with film festivals? No, or? just personally, just finishing it because oh, okay. I, I feel like it sucks right now. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> suck. I'm very proud of it. It just it's you know it's you have this vision and then and then you make something and you're like whoa that came out. <laughs> um, yeah. So the opening scene is absolutely brilliant. By the oh, way, thank you. I mean the, the version I saw, I just so relatable and such a you know anyone that's been in a relationship has has been there before right so it's just like ah geez yeah yeah um okay sorry continue um yeah so i'm excited to that we're we're finishing that uh, we're i'm sending that to sound mix um probably next week and then i'm going i'm in pre-production for another short um that's going to be filmed here in austin it's called there you are it's about a trans woman who you know, has to, has to dress like a boy to, to go home to Texas to say goodbye to her grandmother who's dying. And that stars uh, Jen Richards, who's an amazing, amazing actress in L.A. who wrote it and has asked me to direct it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then for for this one, is it are, are you still self-financing all your films or have you found a way to make these movies without having to to pay out of your own pocket or um, are they all different? They, they've all been different. You know, Spunkle was uh, EP'd by somebody in Chicago. Uh, Foxy Trot was, was a private donor, but you know, you, you always like set a budget. And then for me, especially, I don't, I, it's like, it ends up doubling by the end of it. And so I usually find somebody to be an EP that can like finance what I've budgeted for. And so, you know, I always end up self-financing the things that I exceed in my budget. Right. But you end up finding some sort of source for at least part of it. Exactly. Or for if most not of it, half I would say. of it. Yeah. Nice. Or, or half. That's of awesome. It. That's such a skill because I feel like most filmmakers have a really hard time with that, mm-hmm. inclu- including myself. Yeah. Like it's just really hard to find um, sources of, uh, to, of income to, you know, to fund your, your work. Especially a short film. I mean, short films are kind of hard, you know. But you seem to have done a really great job of finding people who want to make the movies that you that you're making, which is really awesome. Yeah, you know? yeah. I I just feel like you know, especially with this last this this next film that I'm going into production with, I, I just it's a story where I want to really activate the the trans community in Austin, and I feel like you know if there's somebody that that wants to be in that world and it's so exciting to be part of a film. And if somebody has the money to spend on something else, like why wouldn't you invest in, 
an experience like this. I guess I'll operate that there's a there's plenty of money to go around. You just have to find the right person who wants to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's very encouraging. <laughs> just got to go out there and t- talk about your projects. Right. Yeah. And find that person. Yeah. It's like dating. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <you> think? <laughs> um, yeah, not everyone's going to be right for you. Right. Well, I think we should uh, start wrapping it up. I have I have a list of like final questions, like two kind of basic questions. Oh, okay. And then there's five questions we've been asking every filmmaker that's come on the show recently. And that if I there's time, to I'm going to ask one more question. About. But let's you do your do thing now? first. You want to do it now? Uh, okay, I can do it now. <laughs> yeah. I'm just really curious because, Lisa, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast at all, at all, but I've kind of made this huge decision in my mind that eventually I want to move to Los Angeles as well. Um, yeah, you've been talking about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just last year. I just was spending time there and like feeling like, yeah, that like... I never really understood my place in that city until recently. And now I'm like, I, I could kind of see how it all fit together. But my question to you is, you know, you're moving out there with representation, which is really great. But like, you know, what are you, some of your goals? Like when you get to, out to Los Angeles and like, what are your expectations for that experience when you get there next year? Uh, so I finally have kind of a clear path that I, that I want to go for basically for the first six months of 2018. I, I really want to become a staff writer on a show that I'm excited about. And I want to learn that world and, and really, you know, learn a, learn a lot from other writers. I want to be in a writer's room really bad. And then, you know, what I've learned is once you're in a writer's room, you know, you pay your dues as a staff writer. I think once you've completed three seasons, then you can go on to become a, a story editor. And then the path is, you know, to become a showrunner. So... I, that's kind of my magic wand wish is to just follow that that path of staff writing, pay my dues, story editor, and then showrunner. And meanwhile, wow. still develop some of my own ideas and hopefully get into more room so that I can pitch a show until it sells. That's awesome. So when you when you're gonna go to Los Angeles, you're you're not really going like pushing the directing as the forefront. It's more about focusing on the writing and then the directing will fit in when it, when it can. Exactly. Is that, okay. Yeah. Nice. Which was a recommendation by my manager. And it's just that directing is so competitive and I don't have, you know, I, I haven't been to Sundance. I haven't really received the accolades. That I, that will push me to the top of the, to the forefront of the competition. You made, you made so many cool movies though. I mean, <laughs> from a yeah. fellow director, like watching your career, I'm like, why isn't Lisa directing features? Like, it just seems like it should have happened by now, but yeah. you know, yeah, I guess it's all just, and, may, and I think maybe, maybe 2019 will be my first feature, but I do, I do want to, I want to make some money. I, I, that's the other thing. I'm, I'm just not making any money and, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. Right. And the TV <laughs> writing is like pretty lucrative, yeah. you know, as far as, as the things you can get because you're on for such a long period of time and then if the show does well, then you're on again, right. you know, and then you get your time off and, yeah. you know, your time off can be your free filmmaking time. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, one last question before I let Timothy oh, take boy. over. It's just oh, a, a follow up to that question. Are there certain certain shows you are targeting to get um, to get into the writers' room, or are you just like kind of open to anything? I'm, I'm pretty open, but I do want to make sure that the show is in alignment with my voice, and you know, uh, is talking about things that I care about. I would love to write for something that Jill Soloway creates. I think she's brilliant, and she really pushes the conversation forward. 
Um, I want to, you know, work on shows that pushes the the conversation forward on any level. Nice. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm not going to be writing for like fantasy or sci-fi. That's that's really not <laughs> right. in my realm. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Have you seen the show Glow on Netflix? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Glow's great. I would yeah. love to write for Glow. That seems like kind of in your same sphere as your voice, you know, as far as like the, the comedy and the style and stuff, right. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'll actually, I'm going to email my manager right now. <laughs> Why am I not interviewing? <laughs> Get me in that room. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how, cool. how much of your success can you contribute to or attribute to being on making movies as hard? Uh, All of it. Just say 100%. All just, of it. You know. Yeah, no, great. Mean, you can also say zero too. Zero is a totally <laughs> acceptable number. Uh, okay, so here here's what I'm curious to know. Um, what's been your biggest struggle in the last year? Uh, I would say, God, that's a, a loaded question. Because I write most of my short films, I would say I'm really struggling with uh, breaking away from just shooting coverage of a script. Or telling a story right. that's just that's not just the words on the page, and finding you know subtextual moments or dropping into the moment uh, viscerally, emotionally. I don't know. Every time I make a film, it feels like I'm I'm making something that I wrote, which is not a bad thing. But I and hmm. this is something I really wanted to ask you guys, you know, about yeah, if you had certain. You know, uh, practices, or you know, when you're directing something. But I, I, I swear, I walk away from from the set and and go into post production, and it's I had something different in my mind. But I basically, you know, for time constraints or whatever it is, <laughs> things get cut right. throughout the day, and then you're just getting coverage. But a lot of times, when you I go am just getting into your shoot, though, are you doing like a very specific plan? Like, do you have a shot list yeah. that you're like, this shot tells this part of the story, this shot tells this part of the story? So, if you have that, why are you falling back on coverage? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think time. I think maybe I'm not budgeting enough time to get what I want. I mean, this last film, I hired a storyboard artist, and we mapped out every single moment. I mean, just like I saw it mm -hmm. 15 minutes in my head, and and it's like, I, I don't know. So and it's been frustrating. I'm probably harder on myself than I should be, but. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this will lead into my, my final questions. But before we get there, um, what's the biggest lesson that you learned in the last year that you think that everyone listening to this should know? Uh, I mean, always trust yourself. I mean, that's it's yeah. another simple thing. But, you know, sometimes I can get wrapped up into worrying about what other people think or what, what people are, are doing, comparing myself to others and their paths. But, you know, I think when I always, when I don't trust myself, it's always a really hard aftermath. And when I do, it, it always pays off when it, when it's like pushing okay. for a shot, when it's, um, yeah. you know, pursuing a project, whatever, or pursuing a relationship or not pursuing a relationship. So it just always comes back to like trusting, trusting yourself and, and fighting for so that. I'm going to, I'm going to reflect that back to you then. So if you create a shot list and you or you storyboarded out your movie, trust yourself when you get to set that that's the way to do right. it and don't fall back on the coverage. And and maybe the, the missing piece for you is uh, just the schedule. Maybe you need to schedule it better. Right. And just know like, all right, I have 50 shots that are on my uh, shot list. 
how do I schedule my day to get those? Right. And I'll tell you right now, if it is 50 shots, you'll never get it in a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and wait. that could be part of the problem. Well, I, I want to unwrap <laughs> this just slightly. I know we, we have other things to do, but so when when you we say you have your, your shot list and the things that you want to cover and then you fall back on coverage, like how, how does that happen? Is it because like you're getting pressure from your, your crew to just get the shots you need or like... Is it saying that you instigate yourself? You're like, no, well, let's not do that shot. Let's just get the the, the wide, close, and close, or whatever. Or like, how how is that coming together? Or is it different every time? I think it's slightly different every time, but I do think that scheduling is a big factor. Like, I'm trying to shoot too much in one day. I mean, it's not 50 shots, but I definitely think, you know, I think coming from like an advertising, like a stressful advertising background. You know, I used to jam pack our days and, and we used to, we had multiple photographers and a huge crew to be able to execute a lot of work in a, a short amount of time. And so I, I have that same mentality. And so I feel like, oh, if we just push really, really hard, we'll be able to just make all of this happen because I don't have the budget to maybe shoot four days. I just have the budget to shoot three days. And so then I'll, you know, jam pack those three days with as much as possible um, so I right. either need so that's, to, it's finding the balance yeah. of, of what you want and what you're able to pull off. Exactly. I think that's probably where the disappointment's coming from. Cause yeah, if you're trying to achieve more than you have the resources to pull it off, then you're always going to feel like you came up short. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's like every shoot I've, yeah, I've done. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of, <laughs> reality of yeah. filmmaking, especially indie filmmaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but I think, yeah, the smart people know the limitations of their resources and they, and they figure out a way to maximize that to get what they, not to get exactly what's in their head, but to like use those parameters to create something that they, that's going to be great within the constraints of their production. So right. I think it might just be you thinking about things differently, knowing, all right, I know I can only get 20 shots in a day. So what are the best 20 shots that I need to tell my story so I don't have to rely on coverage right, in right. the end? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We really have to wrap it up. So here's five more questions. These are <laughs> questions we've been asking every filmmaker that's come on the podcast recently. And um, it's kind of rapid fire. So okay. you know, try to keep your answers to a few sentences. Okay. So question one. Uh-huh. David Fincher says that you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film set. Do you agree? If so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? I absolutely agree. Um, and I would say, I'd say I'm, I'm getting about 70%. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah, awesome. definitely. Okay. Number two, uh, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker, which I think you probably already answered, but... This is this is longer than just the last year. Right. I would say executing a vision beyond words on a page. Okay. Number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? <laughs> um, don't worry about what anybody thinks. Number four, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yes. I want to direct a feature that gets into Sundance. Ooh, nice one. Uh, number five, is making movies hard? Yes, it is. The hardest thing I've ever done. That's probably why I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised when people say it's not that hard. Oh my god, <laughs> it's like hurting cats. 
Yeah, right. Thanks for coming on, Lisa, and catching us up with your life. It sounds like we have a lot more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much, guys. I, I want to have you back on um, <laughs> after you've been on a show for like maybe three to four months or something. Yeah. And you have a little bit of experience in the writer's room because I know you're going to get to L.A. and it's going to be just a matter of time before you find your home. Right. I'd love to hear about that experience because that's something I, I've never done before and, and I've kind of never really thought I was ever going to do and I probably won't ever do. But uh I'd love to hear about the process and what it's like and all that. Yeah, so. I'd love to. Anytime. And then the last little question. Do you have any work that's available online for people to see? Like, is Spunkle out for uh, online yet? Or? Yeah, Spunkle's on my website. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I mean, pretty, everything that I guess I want people to see on some level <laughs> is on my website. And I'm constantly, you know, making little little teaser videos or just fun social social awareness type stuff nice awesome yeah cool congratulations lisa on all the things you accomplished it's pretty amazing and you know we're typically mentioned jason headley who was on recently and we we called talked about how that was like a dream come true for a filmmaker and i feel like you're living a similar dream come true because you know you're getting funding for your short films you've got an agent you got a manager a movie you wrote premiered at south by southwest now you're moving to la to like you know start a career in television writing i mean come on dude that's pretty (laughs) amazing thank you i mean it's really amazing i always feel like i'm not doing enough but i think you always feel that way yeah yeah yeah. nice i'm excited awesome thanks a lot guys sweet what a great conversation that was. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot has changed since we last yeah. talked to her. And I, I, you know, we talked a little bit before about like, did she move to LA or, or, or what did, what did she want to move to LA? And yeah, totally moving to LA makes sense, you know, <laughs> especially for that kind of filmmaker where she's not just a director. She's also a writer. It's like, that seems like the place to be, you know, actually everyone on this episode is in LA now. That's, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Is that, huh. is that a hint, huh. people? Interesting. So next <laughs> up is Colin Levy, and he was working at Pixar, so he was in the Bay Area, and then he was in Amsterdam working with the Blender Institute on another film because he had done Sintel. When we had talked to him, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to him because he got so many views on Sintel, we wanted yeah, to know like what happened afterwards. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then I found out, because I follow him on Twitter and Instagram, that he had moved to L.A. So, yeah, another person who decided to go to L.A. So let's yeah. find out why. This is like a press tour or being at like some really cool party where, you know, you're you're in a room with all these cool people and you're like, you know, in one conversation with one awesome filmmaker and then you right. turn your head and... You go go to grab a drink and then you bump into another awesome filmmaker and you're having a conversation with them. <laughs> That's what this episode is like. Yeah, it's fun. No, it's super fun. I'm excited because yeah, Colin's going to join us in a second. He's been on the podcast a bunch, and I I I admire his trajectory so much and like that's kind of his his <laughs> yeah. path is like what my what I wish my path was like working at Pixar. He's like done some really cool shorts he's got like lots of views on his shorts and getting hired to direct stuff and yeah hired to direct he was in amsterdam directing yeah, a sample for the a feature so yeah. now he's in la and i'm curious to hear how that's going well um, so he's officially moved to los angeles now yeah i think so wow, i think he awesome. finished that project in amsterdam and he's in la now wow yeah, it, I feel like, you know, we just talked to Lisa and like, she's like a director that I totally respect and I see her career and I'm like, yeah, that's like, I wish I was making more movies and doing more, uh, you know, film festival <laughs> uh, tours and stuff. It. And like, it's like, she's really 
embodies what I think a lot of us want as filmmakers, like just the ability to keep on telling stories, you know? Yeah. And then Colin is like a completely different version. But, but another thing that like all us filmmakers want, like amazing hits online with his shorts, you know, like got his dream job at this, at Pixar, a company that's like really special to him. And now is directing for hire. It's like, gosh, you know, like what the hell? <laughs> we have some pretty it's, cool guests is what I'm trying to say. It's hard not to be jealous, right? Well, I think it's not, I, I'm, I'm for me personally, like I'm kind of beyond that. I mean, cause if I was, if I was run ruled by jealous, jealousy, I'd be jealous of everybody I meet basically, you know, cause um, <laughs> right. you know, the grass but, is always greener. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like it's more like inspiration. You know, when I meet somebody who's doing amazing things, I'm always just like really inspired by them. And, you know, it's encouraging that I can, you know, get to the same highs in my career too. You know, like we can all do it. Colin. Hey, can you hear me? Welcome back. Ooh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, man. How you been, dude? I've been good. I've been good. How about you guys? Busy, but good. Glad to hear it. Busy is good. Wait, so let's just bring everyone up to speed. So when you were last on the show, you were working at Pixar. Um, you were making a short film on the side. Um, I think this has got to be at least two years later. Yeah, feels like ages ago. I think the last time you were on was when I was in Japan and out for two weeks. Oh, and right. you filled in for me. Oh, and you and Ulrich yeah. had some great episodes. I was so happy when I was like, I was just a listener of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you were my co-host. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. really fun. Oh, man, that was great. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, co-host Colin Levy back on the show. Um, yeah, man. So, so yeah, bring, bring us up to speed. What's going down? You quit Pixar. I think we knew that, maybe. Yeah. That you were uh, going to do that. Yeah, I'm not, I don't remember, but... Either way, a lot has changed in my life um, since then. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, and at the same time, nothing has changed. I'm uh, I'm still working on the same dang movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yep. Everything has changed, but at the same time, nothing has changed. Yeah. So I mean, I'm in LA now. Um, so that's one of the big changes. Um, finally made that leap, um, which I'm sure we will talk about. Um, yes. And then in between, uh, I guess, then and now, I, uh, I got an opportunity uh, back at the uh, animation studio over in Amsterdam uh, that I had previously worked at. And uh, so I was there for eight months last year, um, directing a little proof of concept animated short called Agent 327 uh, with a, a small team of about 10, 10 people, I would say. Um, and that was uh, a blast um, and totally unexpected but uh, uh, definitely felt good to get back in the director's chair. And um, yeah, let's stay on that for a second because yeah. I was curious. I when you had got when you left Pixar and then you went to go direct or co-direct this right. animated piece. I I thought Agent Three Two Seven was was a feature film, but it sounds like you guys made a proof of concept to make it a feature. So has That's it right. been bought off as a feature? And if it does, are you going to be the director on it? Uh, so, I mean, the reason I was interested from the get-go was exactly that. I want to <laughs> figure out a way to, to get uh, a feature off the ground. I've done, you know, a lot of shorts at this point, and uh, yeah. the uh, the feature thing is a little elusive. So, um, in talking to those guys at the studio, it was pretty exciting to hear a little bit about their plans and ambitions, and a feature film has been elusive for them as well. Um, this is sort of their second 
um, second like master plan to take over the mm-hmm. world uh, with with this project, <laughs> um, which is based on a, a Dutch uh, comic property, um, and uh, you know that's why I was initially interested uh, because there was a feature at the end of this uh, path, um, and the proof of concept was sort of um, in. It, it was in production when I first kind of started talking to them. And, um, you know, like, I, I, it, it seemed like a pretty good maybe test testing ground to sort of, like, start to get a, a sense of, of uh, the people again because it had been, like, you know, seven years since I worked there. Um, and the the actual comic property, you know, the, the characters in the world. And the intention was, like, if I was going to get involved... Um, on the on the short, maybe that would occupy half my time, and and the other half um, while I was over there would be spent uh, developing the feature. So working on the screenplay, and right. um, you know putting a pitch together that was compelling. And as it turned out, making a single movie, short or feature, <laughs> is is uh, pretty demanding, especially um, at a studio like that with with a such a small budget, but such a um, kind of ambitious look they were going for. I mean, we wanted yeah. it to feel feature quality. They wanted um, to stand up to any feature that you've ever seen. Exactly. Pixar, Disney, <sighs> DreamWorks. I mean, unattainable, but, you know, we did our best. And I'm really proud of the way it looks, but it ended up being that I was spending 85, 90% of my time on the short just to, you know, make that, you know, work. Um, and it didn't leave uh, as much time um, in development on, on the features as uh, would have been ideal. And, um, you know, that's that's the plan. Obviously, no, nothing has changed there, but I feel like, um, you know, I was sort of arguing for uh, pushing the release of the short so that we could then turn our attention to uh, getting the, uh, you know, the, the feature pitch in really good, uh, uh, in a really good state. And... Uh, that didn't quite happen. So when the thing was, you know, released online, um, you know, we we've had some interesting meetings and we've uh, been pushing on on the script um, side of things. But uh, like, there's nothing concrete. Nothing has has happened um, that that gives me confidence that this thing is going to turn into a real feature film. Um, oh, okay. But there's lots of you know conversation happening and yeah you know it still I'm could happen semi-involved you know i think we all I, I think i had a uh you know a good time on the short um and uh uh you know it's an it's an awesome team i think that that studio and that producer is going to do what he needs to do to um to get it off the ground and that may involve um attaching a you know a, a name director if someone were to kind of appear out of the uh, out of the blue um but i think that uh you know maybe i could co-direct or be a part of the story team or or something like that um yeah. but obviously i want to direct so that that's yeah. why i initially got interested and um Kjolti and i uh my co-director i think uh worked like surprisingly well together i had never worked with him before um and that was a really cool experience and um so I think there's something special there, and uh, yeah, it would be it would be awesome to kind of keep going. How hard was it for you to leave Pixar 
What did you already have this opportunity in front of you when you left? I did not. And oh, wow. uh, it sort did... of appeared only a few months later. Um, sort of a stars aligning kind of moment. So you um, just left Pixar because you're like, I've I've done it. I've I've would you put in five years there? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess it was. Yeah, it's, it's depends if you kind of count my um, leave of absence because uh, that's what I took first. I was like, I'm going to take a leave of absence and um, I'm going to finish my short film. <laughs> right, which you're still working on, right? Yeah, right. That was <laughs> foolish. <laughs> yeah. But I, that was that was sort of what like made it reality for me is is uh, working on on my short full-time for six months, realizing how slow it was going but how important it was that i get it done and um kind of doing the math you know like okay right at this rate <laughs> if i go back and i do another um show or two at pixar you know then maybe two years down the line i could take another leave of absence and maybe that's when i could get it done you know and uh it, it it's uh it was a really tough decision. I, I guess I felt in some ways like it was inevitable, um, but that doesn't make it any easier to leave a place like that. Um, yeah. But it really was all about this personal project. And um, I kind of got myself in this pickle <laughs> by starting it in the first place. Um, and um, yeah, that's since since uh, I moved back from, uh, from Amsterdam, that's what I've been working on pretty much full time. Mm -hmm. And um, man, as it's been awesome. And at what point did you decide you need to move to LA? Well, or you um, wanted to move to LA? Yeah, I, I guess after quitting Pixar, I thought it would happen eventually. Meaning, probably when I like finished Skywatch, my short, um, and uh, then I moved to Amsterdam, and um, then I broke up with my girlfriend, and it was like, well. I guess when I moved back, I mean, it was probably a good time. You know, right. it, was, it just felt like uh, the universe is telling me it's time to shake things up. And uh, I went for it. Yeah. Um, so I've been here since May. Nice. Oh, wow. Since May. So what, what has it been like being in... And have you been working on your short film that whole time since May? Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there have been other uh, projects um, happening as well. Um that I've been mostly developing, incubating, writing. But um, but yes, I have not been working on anything else, like uh, working, working. Um, so how have is, you been paying the bills then? Makes me very nervous. Well, um, <laughs> you might recall about uh, a little less than a year ago, I um, launched a Kickstarter for this, uh, for post-production on this project. And... Um, I was very fortunate. Um, we surpassed our goal and, um, you know, raised a, a big chunk of change from 492 backers, I believe. Um, and that has really changed things, you know, the reality of, of, of this project. I felt like most likely um, the, the big chunk for visual effects would go to visual effects vendors. Um, a solid chunk has. But um, what we have realized is that uh, we're, we have very high standards, my visual effects supervisor and I, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 
it's definitely uh, has proven you know difficult to to get exactly what we're going for, and we are so entrenched in this uh, process, and um, you know have been working kind of uh, uh, more or less alone um, for years. And um, so we've got more of a balance, I'd say, than I was initially uh, anticipating. I was just like, "Oh, big chunk of money. Let's, uh, you know, let's let's pay some strangers to to just get it done, and, and it'll be done in three months." Bam. Um, and and now it's it's just more like I'm doing a lot of it myself, and we have we're paying for what um, makes sense to pay for things that I'm not good at, things that. Uh, we are slow at, um, and some things are happening in parallel, um, but that is helping me uh, get by, basically, while I focus on visual effects. Gotcha. So rather than spending the money for other people to do the work, the money's helping free up your time so you can do it, and then you're paying for India yep. to rotoscope things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we've ha- we have... Um, we, we actually are still working with a lot of the same volunteers as before, but in a different capacity or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we have, we've had some help, um, uh, with some U, UI, like user interface comps on computer screens and stuff like that. Um, the UI itself, um, some modeling and shading and, um, and yeah, there's a big studio who I probably can't say, uh, who has chipped in some some work, and um, then a, a small studio in uh, Austin, Texas, a uh, an animation studio, who um, took care of an entire sequence for us. That's um, awesome. So yeah, it's sort of a hodgepodge scenario, but yeah. Um, so you're living the life of a starving artist in Los Angeles, <laughs> is, I, is what I'm I am. I am. That's awesome. Yeah. And then what's the plan? Like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna just fi- you're gonna finish your movie and then make your your next step, or are you Ugh. meeting with people now? Are you still have? Are you still hip pocketed with your agent? Yeah. So that situation has evolved a bit. Um, I think my game plan is fundamentally the same, which um, is put all of my ba- my eggs in the Skywatch basket and then uh, <laughs> see what happens. Not wise. Nice. <laughs> but oh, um, I, um, I'm with a different management now. And um, that was a little bit of a, a thing for a bit. Um, but uh, they're starting to set up meetings for um, the new year, basically, uh, which I've, I've never... You know, I've, I've I haven't met anyone. I don't know anybody. This is <laughs> I, I have uh, you know I'm kind of apprehensive about this, but uh, I've also been hearing that this was going to happen for like seven years since I was with my you know my original uh, right. reps. They're so like, you oh, get well, all those yeah. views on your short film. We'll we'll take you you know to do the water bottle tour. They yep. called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, great, let's do that. And then it's just never happened. Um, and for, yeah, various reasons, it didn't seem like the right time, you know? Um, either I just uh, was in film school and so I was finishing up my uh, senior film or I had just got, you know, that gig at Pixar and, you know, wasn't kind of ready to to like jump into the Hollywood world and then, uh, I moved to Amsterdam for Agent 327. 
that would have been a probably good moment when I kind of when I just moved to LA with that. But I didn't really prime my reps very well for that moment to capitalize on it. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Learning lessons. Um. Yeah. This all this stuff takes time though. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like from the outside when you when you see somebody jump out and be, become a success, it looks like it happens overnight, but behind the scenes there's they say it's like 10 years. Oh of, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Of like uh, working in, what is it called? 10 years of solitude, I think is what they call it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, working by yourself until you get to make that leap. So, yeah. yeah. You know, if you're only seven years into it, you're totally fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, how confident are you that putting on your all your eggs into the Skywatch basket is going to pay off? Because I feel like I, I in some ways, thought the spirit machine was that movie for me. And right. then I came out on the other end, just being super disappointed with it. Not because not as much as because of the execution, but more because of the, the story that I told, I didn't think I told the story well enough. And I, in order to fix it, I'd have to go back and start over from scratch. <sighs> so do you feel like the foundation is laid that like everything is there and it's just a matter of executing it well, at, at this point? I know what you mean, because when you work on anything for four years, like this is not the movie I would make if I were gonna if I was gonna start over today, and a lot of aspects of it to me feel a little dated to be honest um so that's mm-hmm. a concern um and you know it's also a big budget original sci fi spectacle kind of piece like the the future that we're we're writing, and um that makes me nervous. Uh, so, <laughs> right, I, right. You can't just go and make it yourself, right? Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, this is the path that I'm on, and so I have to obviously see it through. But the uh, to be to be honest, I, I've got another basket, and I'm slowly removing eggs from one and uh, <laughs> putting it in the other as I as I uh, move forward. I'm I'm like just trying to psych myself up for disappointment. Um, while right. keeping the mo- motivation going, is it a low budget basket? It's a low budget basket. That's yeah, right. <laughs> that's smart. That, that's because that's what I figured out after I did my movie was that's how cool. long it took just to get twenty minutes done, and uh, knowing that and how hard it was to figure that just that short out. Like if I wanted to do a feature, I couldn't assume that somebody was going to come and help me make it, and so I'd have to figure out how to do it myself. It's. It's pretty exhausting just to think about. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this short has taken over my life and uh, just takes so much effort to make these things. Are um, you in year five with it right now? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I wrote wrote it in 2013. I shot it in 2014. So it's almost 2018. So, yeah, uh, about to be year five, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And then how much longer do you think it's going to take before it's finished? Um, I, it will be done in the first half of, of 2018. Um, it will, you know, I've been saying March, April, but, uh, you know, I think that's too granular because, you know, we don't really have, we're not really working backwards from any concrete deadline and it's sort of things are taking as long as they take. And right. there's... There's a benefit to to working that way because it puts the quality standard kind of first and foremost. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that means that things kind of keep on getting pushed 
down the line. We have another shoot that we're trying to put together. Oh, wow. Another um, shoot? Oh, boy. Yeah, for a self-contained <laughs> uh, a little um, spec, well, a, a commercial that opens opens the, uh, the film. Um, interesting. So, wow. Sort of a, a different exercise altogether. But, um, yeah, there's there's still lots of work to be done. And um, but I have no doubt. Yeah, we'll we'll get it done uh, next year in the first half. Uh, so I can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And what's the plan with it? Is it to go to film festivals or just to put it online? Like, what was your what's your strategy when it's finished? I should have a better sense of of that. Um, still a little bit nebulous. I, first things first, finish it. Right? I know. <laughs> I. Um, I think that the most important thing is how we position it for, um, for meetings here. You know. Oh, I um, see. So I think that yeah. before anything else happens, uh, probably the focus will be there. Uh, you know, I think I, I would love to get out of my like cave and meet some people, uh, like at festivals, which I've never really taken advantage of. So. Um, there, there's a, 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 sh- a couple of shorts I've seen released re- recently that are pretty genre that have done pretty well at festivals and the filmmakers have traveled around and I've been following them on social media. And, um, I think that sort of changed my, my sense of it. Like, this is not a festival piece, you know, this is a proof of concept, this 10 minute short. Um, but I think there might be there still might be an audience for it at festivals and that might oh, be yeah. really fun. Totally. I mean, so, it's science fiction. I mean, there's lots yeah. of festivals that want sci-fi projects. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I, I would love know. to do that. I would, I really would. So I think that's part of the picture. Yeah. There's a lot in the fall that happens. I, I mean, if I were you, I would be trying to get it done by like May or April or May. So okay. you can have it ready for, uh, Fantastic Fest and um, the one that's um, in Montreal. What's that one called? It's a Fantiste, Fanta- Fantastique Film Festival okay. or whatever. And then there's also Austin is a big one for genre stuff. I mean, they're not all genre, but they have some genre categories. And then um, there's Scream Fest and Shriek Fest. And I think they both have science fiction sections. So I would look at those. And then there's a couple other ones in the fall that are like huge for genre. So I would I would be pushing to get it done sooner so you can take advantage of that. Because, I mean, you know, that would be a really great opportunity for that type of project. And then, of course, having it ready for South by Southwest next year as well would also mm. be good. And I wouldn't worry about premiering there. I would worry about just having it in that in the running for that as soon yeah. as you start adding all the festival dates to like the release of your film you realize like how much longer you have right right <laughs> it's like you're like oh i'm already like five years in this process and then i have to wait like another year for all the festival things yeah, to that's to what do. happens oh. but i mean but you could still be showing it because i think what you're saying is that the main purpose of it is to show managers agents companies and to like sell yourself with it so while it's in the film festival run you can still be doing all that stuff with your waterball tour and and all that stuff and well i think about um there's a guy who released a short film online with like this big whale in in space do you remember this oh yeah yeah leviathan um, Leviathan, yeah, Rory and I Robinson. feel like he released it after he had already done like the tour and got people on board to like produce it, so it seemed like this huge success story. But it felt like it was all orchestrated. Right. I feel like it's probably it could be something like that where 
you know, behind the scenes, you're already selling it. And then by the time it releases, you already have a partner to like help either produce this into a feature or another feature. Right. And so it feels like it, it's an overnight Boom! I release my short, and all of a sudden, I have a do a movie deal. Yeah. Oh man, that that that's the dream. Although that, great, that one right? hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't appeared on the silver screen yet. That's so true. That's another. That's only, factor. That was only like a year and a half ago, though. Uh, yeah, I think it was it slightly time. longer. But you're, but oh, yeah. It? I mean, you're right. That's definitely one of the ones that. I mean, that blew me away when that was released. Um, what was that? The guy's name? Uh, Rory, I think. Robinson? That's right, Rory um, Robinson. Yeah, and he was yeah. nominated for an Oscar. He had the screenwriter for uh, Fight Club. Yeah, you know, that's right. And uh, you know that 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 sells things. I mean, that's that's uh, I guess like a intermittent goal between like here and making the feature would be to interest people enough that you know someone wants to buy buy it. Uh, Ooh, so that, right. I mean, that would be another good outcome. But I, I you know I want to see this thing made. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about you, Colin, is like you're you're the type of filmmaker that it's not easy just to go and make your own films. Like your your ambitions are really high, and I can definitely relate to this. Right, where you're kind of reliant on getting into the studio system to make your dreams come true. Because so I can hear mm. the a little bit of the frustration of like this elusive feature. Like, how do you get this feature <laughs> made? We've had like so many guests come on the show and talk about how they've made their features for. you know, but it's hard to do that when you're playing in the kind of world that you're playing in. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And, um, you know, but I think that, uh, I mean, definitely like this low budget basket that I've been weaving, um, is uh is new territory for me and uh it's been an interesting exploration to try to find like a story that still feels like me or still has the the things that i i want to you know i want to do or make or see and uh but in a really low budget package and that's like right that's been you know it seems like you just like to get something to happen you got to be pretty shrewd in in like how these puzzle pieces are made so that so that you know what you conceive and write and spend th- two years or three years developing is something that you could actually produce um, mm-hmm. and you know maybe if I were to rewind time instead of doing Skywatch I would have immediately been developing that type of project and right now i'd be on your podcast talking about this little (laughs) feature that i i shot and got off the ground um right well are there any filmmakers like in in the system right now that you're looking at and you go i want to that's the kind of filmmaker i want to be and then you've rewound and seen where they started (laughs) and saw that like little that independent feature that they made that got them to that point well i mean uh i i just saw star wars last night and uh I would say both of the, I mean, Gareth Edwards and Ryan Johnson oh, yeah. both have, there you go. You know, these pretty meteoric rises. Um, yeah, those are great examples. As, yeah. as uh, does Colin Trevorrow um, yep. in Jurassic World and, and, you know, that stuff. Like, they, and they, the they all did. did Kung, King Kong also. What was his name? Jordan oh, true. Robert Voigt, Voigt Roberts, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of those guys out there. 
Exactly. Copland guy who did uh, Spider-Man. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's so many of them. But yeah. Who's a Spider-Man guy? I think guy? it's good to, I, I get, the reason I bring it up is for like anyone who's listening to the podcast and like encountering the same thing. I think it's a good exercise to take those kind of directors and rewind back and look at their first films and see like, how did they do? They didn't start with totally. King Kong and Jurassic World and Star Wars. They started with something small. Yeah. The only, the only one I know very well is like the Gareth Edwards movie and it, there's very little visual effects in that film when you when you break it down. Yeah. Uh, they, he really saved it all for like the last sequence. I mean, Monster, uh, which is that one, and then Brick, uh, Ryan Johnson's. Um, Brick is so good. I don't know, but... Oh, um, well, Colin Trevorrow did uh, uh, Safety Those, Not Guaranteed, yeah, right? Safety Not Guaranteed, yeah. right. I mean, all of those are from a budget level pretty attainable you know pretty that it seems within reach to be honest something in that right like obviously they're all really excellent <laughs> so that's the challenge <laughs> but uh uh yeah i mean for the amount i've spent on this short i could have made a feature film so why did i do a short well uh, because you had to because <laughs> you and you had that vision you know yeah. and and you and timothy share that like you guys both yeah. have these big visions with these big like you know visual effects and epic studio level blockbuster style stuff and that's what you guys go after you know and i yeah. think that's that's awesome you know it's just but it's just different you know yeah regardless of how your film turns out it's going to make you the filmmaker that you are totally like you'll come out the other end and you're going to have learned so many lessons from it so don't don't try to change that experience just accept it for what it is and and learn from it like i'm as much as i hated the experience of making my film I, at, on the other end of it, I appreciate how much I grew and learned as a result. Like I'm such a better filmmaker having gone through that pain and struggle. But yeah, it wasn't That's easy awesome. for sure. Uh, well, I think uh, the thing that makes me nervous is the looming reality of, uh, you know, needing to eat. And <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've got to like... I'm going I'm trying to make a career out of this and uh so far you know it's like it's mostly been me doing my own passion projects uh and fi- you know finding a way to finance them and I guess in the low budget world that's kind of how it works but um you know that that's what makes me nervous obviously yeah but I'll say I'll say this like as much as your life is a struggle from an outside like artist perspective when i look at the work that you've created like i'm in awe and I, I like i think that you've put out some amazing things into the world that all represent who you are and that to me is like if you can do that no matter how you're making it happen like that's an amazing feat in and of itself and i know you want to make money and you want to make a career out of it but you did like create a body of work and that's not easy to do no so that's, yeah thank you very you know, much congratulations on that i i feel pretty lucky uh you know that that some of these things have basically fallen in my lap um you know including recently agent 327 because if if that didn't happen then the last you know piece of work i would i would have to show for myself you know would be from 2011 uh (laughs) so you know i i feel um i feel really lucky that you know these opportunities have come and uh and I have been able to 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 do some interesting stuff, but yeah, it's all been shorts, you know, and released yeah. online kind of I thing. Know. So you know, I know Timothy has his last questions, but I have one more question before we get to that, mm-hmm. and that is, 
this water bottle, water bottle tour you're going on, what is the goal? Like, what are, what are you looking for out of this experience of meeting these companies or whoever you're going to go out and meet? So, um, my sense is that, uh, like the, the goal for these generals is just to, uh, you know, like go in and meet and have no expectations and, hopefully make a good impression and possibly even leave with a new friend. That's like, that's, that's it. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, yes, I think I should have some stuff ready to pitch, but, um, we, my, my, uh, you know, new management feels like it's better to kind of start meeting people prior to the release of, you know, my short, um, and kind of get people primed, you know, say this thing is coming and then so you know four months afterwards uh hopefully less uh i can say hey remember that thing that we talked about here it is it's done now let's now let me pitch it to you kind of thing yeah uh, okay so that's but, it, but it's but it's basically to pitch the feature version of skywatch yeah i think eventually i think these are the people i'm meeting are are the are some of the uh, yeah, relationships I want to develop. Um, I think they're people who who might potentially have uh, find it an interesting project. But yeah, yeah, I think it's smart to set the stage early, not not wait till you have something to show. Because right. I think there is that that idea of the one two punch where if you set it now and you're like, hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm working on. Hi, nice to meet you. And then in four months, you send your finished film. It gives you another opportunity to meet with them. Whereas if you only have your film and you meet with them, that might be your only shot. And then it just kind of fizzles out. So it's it almost like creates an excuse for you to talk to them one more time. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, you know, I definitely uh, could could see the argument for for the other way as well. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you only get one first impression. And if it's like... Bam! This thing is so cool. You know, it's tearing it up online. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that could be exciting as well. Yeah, but, but you have Agent Three Two Seven. You could also show like the the teaser to right. Skywatch. I think there's you know, exactly. I think there's stuff to talk about. You know, and it's nothing is like exactly hot off the press. But um, I think there's um, yeah, there's there's plenty to talk about. And I think you know, as much as they will be interested in me i mean i don't know how these meetings go never had one but uh <laughs> would <laughs> love to out. just get a sense of like what are people looking for and how does this industry work and you know i don't know just like feel out like how how this mechanism operates because i've been hearing about it from the outside for for some time but i still don't exactly know what to expect so yeah right yeah, it's going to be well, interesting. Well, we got to wrap this up. So I have five last questions that we've been asking filmmakers that have come on the podcast recently. And so since you were never asked these on Uh-oh. your original appearances, <laughs> time to ask you right okay. now. So the, the, the idea is like it's like, like the lightning round. Try to keep your answers to a few sentences. Okay. So number one, David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film set. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? On a film set or just from he said everything? He said film set in his interview, but I think he just means like 70% of your vision. You're only going to ever maximum get 70% of what you intended to get with yeah. your film. I think I've come to terms with that. 
I mean, I think I would agree that, uh, and working at this budget level, I feel like probably ultimately lower a lot of times. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I'm definitely prioritizing. Like I said, I'm spending, you know, I'm spending many, many months trying to get, you know, a few percent closer um, when I could otherwise like be done with, you know, this thing already. So, so I would say that, uh, I don't know, 70% seems like a pretty good, um, pretty good number. I'm I'm comfortable with it. Okay. So number two is, uh, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Um, getting stuff finished, (laughs) obviously (laughs) right now. Um, I mean, I think I have lots of weaknesses. I want to get better at, you know, directing performance and understanding, um that sort of non-visual side like uh yeah i i feel like i'm getting better on the writing front i'm really enjoying that process um yeah and then obviously the business side yep okay number three if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice what would it be how far back are we going it's a beginning of time. <laughs> um, Whatever age you want. Yeah, hmm. that's a good one. Um, I would say start writing. Start reading also, <laughs> which I still haven't done. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like uh, uh, I would love to have a drawer full of feature scripts now ready that I mm-hmm. want to make. And uh, I got into the writing game pretty late because it's all about your intellectual property, like your uh, your stories and what you want to tell. You know, for a while, I just wanted to be a director. I wanted someone to hand me a script. I'll direct it. Uh, if, you know, if it's something I love. Um, and, and those opportunities just, I mean, they may come after you have established yourself, but uh, original work is is as important on the feature landscape as it is in the short world, and uh, that took some time to figure out. Number four, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Uh, first goal is to support myself as a filmmaker, but uh, I think bigger goal, you know, to, to to release something theatrically, that would be super cool. Although, you know, Netflix and stuff is changing my my goals. Like, I just want, yeah, I want anyone to be able to go watch my movie. Yeah. Number film. five, is making movies hard? Yes, Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> making movies is really hard. <laughs> some people don't think so. Yeah, some people don't think so. Hmm. Well... Uh, I want to be them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just want to, but the hard doesn't mean that it's not fun, you know, right, like right. you can it's still, just difficult. it's just, it's a challenge. It can be challenging and fun at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> well, we got to run cause we have another guest waiting for us that has to run at nine o'clock, but we, I feel like wow. we owe you a longer conversation, but this was so much fun catching yeah. up Super with you fun. and hearing what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been a little one-sided. So next time I'll, I'll interrogate you. <laughs> um, well, hopefully one of us will be on vacation soon. You can come <laughs> host again exactly. awesome 
Was that what you expected from Colin? Not really. I mean, I kind of thought that Skywatch would would have been at least finished, if not released. You know, I knew it wasn't released because I would have heard about it, but I thought it would have been more done. Like, I did not expect him to say that he was going to be going to shoot more later this year with that project. But it's crazy. I think I didn't expect that he would be like a starving artist in LA. I thought he would have moved there and found like a job or like already like been doing something different. Some kind of directing something, some sort of, you know, (laughs) but he's just, it's very funny. It's also interesting how humble he is, you know, because like Mm. he's got his representation. He's got this project he's doing. He's about to go on this water bottle (laughs) tour. And yeah, he's just like, ah, you know, I'm just one of of the guys just trying to figure it out. And it's like, he's had this amazing career, but it's funny to see the parallels between his movie and your movie and Spirit Machine. Oh yeah, totally. Because it's like so many years working on that project. He did a Kickstarter for it. He raised a bunch of money. That's exactly what you went through with Spirit Machine. So it's interesting to see that that happens to other people too. But who knows what it'll be like at the other end, you know? Yeah. One thing that I really admire about him is that he just makes changes to like shake things up, like leaving Pixar and not having another opportunity lined up. Like I would never do that. That's like not my style. <laughs> like I, right. I've, been, I've been at the agency for 14 years, partly because I'm just, I like to know what the next step is. I'm not just like, all right, I'm just going to jump off this cliff and figure it yeah. out. But yeah, we'll he's done that with land. leaving <laughs> Pixar. He's done that with moving to LA. And I really admire that. Like, I, I wish I had that in me and I was willing to take those kind of risks because I feel like it's going to pay off for him. Uh, it seems like it'll pay off for him. I really right. believe that it will. I just really can't wait to see his short film and I can't wait to hear what comes out of these meetings, you know, because it looks like he's all they're all ge- geared towards selling his feature version of Skywatch. Yeah. So I don't know. It feels like he's in a really good place because he's got a, a teaser trailer that he can already show, which is like better than most people. And he's got this bigger project, this short version of it that he's working on. So I feel like that's a lot to get people excited about. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. next up is Kyle McCauley, who I feel was on a similar trajectory as Colin, where he made a visual effects laden short was able to get an agent off the back of that. And um, he did the water bottle tour. And when he, he came on our podcast last, he kind of explained to us what that was like and, and what those meetings are like and what to expect with them. And it's been, I think, a year and a half or so. So I'm curious to know if anything's happened with his short James, whether he's able to turn it into a feature or a TV show or anything else. Yeah, it's really interesting because like the two people we just talked to are about to both go on this this meeting tour you know (laughs) and then he this is a guy who did that a while ago and now it's like okay what what happened since then so i think it'll be interesting to see like a possible future for the two guests that we just talked to of like what life could look like afterwards you know that's a good point so here we go here's kyle there we go did you see the new star wars yet yeah yeah i saw it on uh sunday morning what did you think i I don't, I don't know if I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but um, we haven't. I I have no idea really how I feel about it. It's really weird. <laughs> you're one of those. You're one of the mixed bag people. Yeah, I got to see it again to really know what I think. Um, well, I've seen it three times, and I think it's, three times it's just it's just uh, it's fantastic. It's you hated it. You just were punishing yourself seeing no. it three times. No, no, I'm not one of the hated hated crew. 
Um, why, so why, what, what is it about this movie? We can't tell you until, unless you've seen it. You can't know why. You, oh, jeez, yeah, yeah, we can't talk about you this. You gotta go completely it. spoiler-free into it or it's gonna ruin it. It's so, it's very different than anything that the Star Wars universe has done before. And it's pushing the, 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 the series into completely different areas and different realms in bold ways. And that's why everyone should go see it. And that's yeah. why on my Facebook, I said it's going to make all the money because it's such a different movie than all the other uh, Star Wars movies, you know, for and then you either people love it or they hate it. And I feel like I'm really against the haters right now. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be more accepting of people. You're getting in a lot of fights lately. I just I mean, I read an article on um, TechCrunch Tech that made me want to punch like my <laughs> computer like over and over again. I was so annoyed with it. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem like people uh, who have seen it have weak opinions. Everyone feels very strongly one way or another. <laughs> you, you, it's, it's like like we talk about the those, polarizing huh? audiences, Timothy, with even our work. Yeah. You know, like you know, and not and being okay with that. Like that's totally what they did with this. But movie. this is a different thing. It's like it's an established franchise, and if you break the rules of the franchise, you're going to piss but some of the they fans didn't off. Didn't right? break the rules of the franchise at all. Oh, okay, I haven't seen it, opinion. so I can't talk about it. Yeah. So hey, Anyways. Kyle. Hey. hey, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> welcome, man. Are you still? working a full-time job or are you famous yet uh well you know i'm sure you guys okay. have heard how famous i am um <laughs> yeah all kinds are of you famous. directing the new star wars <laughs> um nope so not not famous and um still still working the same job that i had when um when i talked to you guys last time and, and was it a production job or at, at a yeah production? it's like motion graphics basically okay, right right yeah nice man yeah. So the last time we talked to you was July 2016, episode 59. That's crazy. Meeting agents and producers with Kyle McCauley. And so you were, when we talked to you, you had done like a water bottle tour uh, because um, you had gotten an agent because of your short film, James. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yep. And then has anything happened since we last talked to you? Is, is this turn, has your project turned anything into any other opportunities? Yeah. I mean, there's, I guess the thing, I, I'm not sure what I'm cleared to talk about. So I'll try, I'll try to be as specific <laughs> oh, and vague no, as mean, possible at the same time. That's already intriguing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when I talked to you guys last time, if that was July, then I had put together a, a pitch book for a series that was like a, it wasn't uh, specifically like a James series, but it was kind of based off the same stuff. And um, I was meeting with a guy and we were trying to get um, get a writer attached to be a showrunner. And uh -huh. um, so I had meetings with <clears throat> a bunch of writers and um, some, <laughs> I guess this is where I, I, have to be very vague, but, um, stuff happened with that. And, um, it's kind of on pause right now. Um, unfortunately. And then, uh, something else came out of that where there was possible funding for a proof just to help sell the show. Um, and be more specific than just like, Hey, he directed this thing and that would have been James. And then, um, we would have had like a pitch book and a story Bible, but, um, 
that's also just like anything else when there's money involved it just takes forever so um <laughs> wait when there's money involved it takes right. forever <laughs> yeah. yeah what does well, that mean uh wait yeah well if it's not your money i should say it's somebody else <laughs> right having... is it the trying to get the money part that takes forever um it's just i i don't really know why it's part of this bigger deal and i guess it's just like i i don't know that i i know as little about it as they would tell me i guess um so just kind of waiting on that yeah um, you sound a little frustrated yeah i mean <laughs> it was yeah <laughs> it, at one point i was like oh nice i i get to like quit my job and i'll just be working on this full time for like the next six months or something and then um and then it's just like hey what's the deal and then it just keeps getting pushed yeah, well, that was my next question for you. Like, how much do you think that your job is getting in the way of your passion? Uh, th- that That's a good question. Uh, at one point, I was just going to quit regardless uh, by the end of the year and just focus on putting stuff together. And then if, you know, give it like six months and if nothing is really moving, then I would just go get another job. But um, I'm just going to wait to hear back on this thing for sure. And uh, once I know that, then I can know, okay, then I need to take the time off and put everything into these couple other projects that I'm working on and try to get those going. So it does, it's, it's annoying though, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but you have other things that you, you want to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. There's good. There's a, a couple of things. There's one thing I'm working on with a friend that's like totally nothing like what I've done, it's like a cartoon, like a crazy cartoon thing. And then uh, another is a, I hate using this term, but this is what they told me to frame it as, uh, a high concept, um, <laughs> low budget short. Um, <laughs> Wait, a high concept, low budget short? Or okay. not short, I'm sorry, a low budget feature idea. Yeah. Um, because um, at this point, the wind is blowing so that that is the easiest thing to get made if you mm. needed to. Um, that, so that's funny. That's what, when I was pitching my movie in LA at AFM, <laughs> that's what mm. they called my project. High concept, high, concept. high concept, low budget, low feature. budget feature. Yeah. I think that means anything where it's not just people sitting around talking. That means <laughs> right. it's high concept. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So there's some fantastical elements to it. Yeah. It's just an annoying word. That what people... is, yeah. What is like high concept supposed to mean? It's supposed to be like a, an idea you can communicate in like a really short blurb, right? That's high concept. I, I don't know. Uh, I've heard it used in, in like just different contexts where it, it varied from people thinking is just, oh, this is the uh, a cool idea and that means it's high concept or it's has some kind of weird narrative structure or um, it, like the premise has some like sci-fi bend behind it. I think Timothy, what he said was right. Like, you know, it's, it can be explained in a really short amount of time or really like with few words, like in just one sentence, you know, oh, that's but I think what you said is also true that it's also, you know, some often sci-fi, but often, you know, doing something different with narrative structure and mm-hmm. in some way spinning what, like the norms on, on its head a little bit at the same time. Yeah. That, you know, that, I think that sounds about right. But 
it's just really briefly like I've had people tell me that my idea is not high concept enough, but that it's also <laughs> perfectly high concept. So I don't really even know what people mean then yeah, in some cases. It's so weird. Yeah. It's, it's like, so, who cares? Is it cool? Yeah. Like, you know cool? what I mean? Like why, uh, why does this the barometer for measuring whether it's, it's like, who cares? Right. So I know that you said you can't talk about this stuff, but yeah, I want to ask you. So you, you had the James thing that you were shopping around. Mm-hmm. You got as a, as a series, mm-hmm. you got a writer attached. Mm-hmm. Now you can't say what writer this is or what company is affiliated with it, mm-hmm. but can you talk about like the, the process with that writer and what you've been doing um, since that happened? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and when did that happen? I guess. Uh, so, Let's see. I talked with you guys in July. We started meeting with writers in December, I think. And that was a couple months process. The actual work, what what we've done with him has been, it's basically just meeting and talking about ideas and then figuring out what tasks need to be done for each. So my part of the pitch was I, I made this VR experience thing that we would just bring into the room and I just got like a, a gear VR and I bought an unlocked phone and would just like hand it to the guys be like, okay, so this is like, this is what the show will feel like because the show itself involves VR. So it's kind of like a, a meta thing where you're the pitch is VR, but the show is about VR. I was working on that for, probably like six months. Now, as, as soon as, of course, as soon as I had it basically ready to go, it was like, oh, well, we got to just wait on stuff. So um, that's probably why I'm so frustrated because I I didn't know anything about making VR stuff and it, it took me a while to do research and, and just build out the actual thing. And now I'm just kind of sitting on this cool pitch thing and I can't really do anything with it. So because uh, this other writer that you guys talked to is is assigned to it or no that's the it, other thing or? is like there's no everything's just a, a verbal agreement so because there's no money involved yet and it's hard to get anybody to do anything if there's they're not getting paid so as you guys well know so it's just waiting on his schedule really and waiting on everyone else's schedule you know when you're the one who's most eager to get something made because it's it's you're the one who's going to get the most benefit from it. it. That's that's when it's really frustrating. So, so basically for that project, what what needs to happen is he just needs to start writing it, and then once he writes a, a like a like a concept pilot or or whatever, then you can take that to agents and try to get the show made. But he has to put in this bit of freebie work first in order to get it done. He or she, I should say. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, that's basically it. I wow. mean. It, the thing is, I'm not even totally clear on what the actual pitch materials would be uh, that we would want to have. And, you know, we'd still need to work out the actual pitch, like j- just down to the simplest details, like who's speaking first and like wh- who's talking about what. And it just takes a really long time. Sounds like you need a producer person to kind of motivate the writer well, that, um, I, I do have that, so that's good. But okay. he's also super busy. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. So it's like you almost want that producer person to be more invested in the project 
in order for them to push it forward. But how do you get that person more excited about it when you need them to push it forward? It's kind of, that's a almost a catch-22 sort of no, situation. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard because um, he in particular, the, the producer I've been working with, he, he's been great. And he's given me a lot of his time for nothing up to this point. So I don't feel like I have the leverage to, you know, push him any further than he already has because he's really gone out already for me. So, um, but that's what you hope for is like, you know, a lot of these times that you, you're working on something like this and it, it might not work out, but the person will like working with you and they'll have some other opportunity and they'll be like, Hey, I know blah, 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 this is on hold, but you know, I got this other thing and maybe, maybe we can get together on this. So, you know, stuff can happen. Um, it's really just holding on through stuff like this to have something actually happen for you, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. It's hard when you're in a position where you need other people to get things done. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you have a, a high concept, low budget feature in the works. Yeah, I think we all need that. We all need to have some something in our back pocket that we can make happen without the help of studios or people with a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, and I guess one thing I've learned through this is that you know if you have, let's say, you have your feature concept and you don't have the money necessarily to shoot a proof, like you you don't have you know even I don't know, low budget proof would be probably like ten grand or something like that. And say you don't have that, but you can make other pitch stuff. Like you can do a ripomatic thing, or you could even have like a motion graphics piece that's kind of like an explainer for whatever the either the tech or whatever like the narrative structure is of the thing. Uh-huh. Um, you can get as creative as you want just explaining what the movie is and not necessarily having a show like, Oh, this is how I would direct it. Or like, this is how I can write a script. Like this is like what my dialogue sounds like. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be anything that's about the movie that makes the movie seem exciting. Hmm. So you said ripomatic. That's um, like where you take clips from other films and cut them together to kind of give a sense for what the film might look like. Right. Right, exactly. I think I'm about to do one of those for for my movie. I think it's really smart. Call, call it a mood board. This is what I'm going to call it, but a ripomatic mood board, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Th- I think that's a really smart idea because it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's it's less work than organizing a crew and going out and shooting. You know, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. Well, what I want to do is I want to do that, but then also have my composer, who I'm about to lock down for my project create original piece of music inspired by the script that could oh, be like the beginning idea. of the theme and then have that be the music for the mood board that's that's a really good idea yeah that's we'll like uh out. that's like what nolan did with zimmer for interstellar hmm. he like wrote a he wrote a one-page little short story thing and then zimmer composed music for that and then that ended up being the main theme for interstellar wow oh, that's cool that's yeah. awesome Sweet. so you're just like Christopher Nolan. Like, <laughs> well, I've always known it, but now at least someone else can say it. <laughs> you're validated. Yeah. I've been calling him the Roger Corman of the Bay Area, but from now on, you're the Christopher Nolan well, of the yeah. Bay Area. We yeah. already have a Roger Corman here. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, the, the name's been taken. We'll, we'll get him We'll get him going um, on the show one, one day. Phil Gorn, you're out there, buddy. 
Um, all right, Kyle, question. So this movie you're writing, is it written, this uh, low-budget, high-concept sci-fi movie, or are you writing it? What's what's the story with that? Uh, I'm writing the script. I have a, the treatment thing that I've been sharing with my agent to get feedback because generally you, it's hard to just plop a script in front of your agent and be like, hey, read this because they've got a million other things to do. So you want to feed them the idea in in the most succinct form so that they can comment on the feasibility of getting it done or like, you know, what needs to be changed. Um, so I've, I've been containing it to like a two-page treatment thing and I've, I've done, I don't know, three or four edits on it. And as soon as it's in the, the state that I would like it to be, then I'm going to make a, there's this, this technology in it. It's the main narrative structure that drives the, the movie. I'm going to just do, make a little motion graphics thing and it'll be kind of a, almost like a, like an infographic thing. And that'll explain how the technology works just to have it, have a feeling, have some kind of tone you could assign to the, whatever somebody would read. And then I'll probably write the, the feature script. Too. And and just really quickly, what does the uh, treatment look like? Like, is it images? Is it just text? Um, is there a poster aspect uh, to it? Yeah, right now it's just text. And I wrote it as like a, a first person thing of the, the main character. So it's basically the, the main character is a girl. Um, she's talking about her involvement in like the main overall story. So there's information that she's she doesn't understand yet that you kind of have to that I'm like hinting at that she doesn't understand and um, it's like her understanding of what the the tech is and I figured that was more interesting than just spelling out the details in just as plain a form as possible. This kind of gave it a little character and you could put in little writer things to make it. I don't know, just to build her character up a little more rather than just explaining her character. Um, right. It she's made like it easier for, for me to write, I think. So um, I don't know if that, again, it's it's kind of like what I was saying before. I think you can do anything you want to get somebody's attention to understand an idea. Um, so I was like, oh, screw it. This is, it's easier to write this way. Um, it might be more interesting to read. So I'll just do it like that and, I don't think anyone will ever say like, oh, this isn't formatted properly or something like that. Like, <laughs> right. I think that's a good lesson. I think that's an awesome, that's a really cool thing takeaway from your experience because I, we do put so much emphasis on the way things look. Yeah. But I guess like once you're already in the world, uh, you can kind of present things however you want as long as it's interesting. Yeah. That's all anyone cares about. Is it interesting? Yeah. It, 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 it helps it too. You. Yeah. It makes it surprising. Um, People love being surprised with that stuff. So, and that's kind of why we went with the VR pitch thing because there aren't a lot of people going into pitches. With, oh, maybe now there are, but at the time when I made the thing, it, that felt like that was a fresh idea. Um, mm -hmm. So we're like, oh, well, we should do that because they'll just be like, oh, wow, they made this thing. Like, and I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't <laughs> be that impressed yeah. now, but. It reminds me of there's a section in, in Save the Cat where he, Blake is talking about how in the 90s when spec scripts were selling for like millions of dollars, people would do like all these crazy things to get noticed. And like he, he I think he has a picture of it in his book where they had written a story about uh, some sort of like 
nuclear disaster and so they sent the script inside of like a nuclear waste container to <laughs> yeah. get like the attention of, of producers yeah yeah that totally sounds <laughs> so maybe it's all coming because he was saying in his book don't do that like that's over those days are over but maybe it's coming back around well I mean, I, i'd 90s. say listen to him way more than listen to me obviously <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, yeah I know. Funny. You'll have to come back on after you've had the success, so you can tell us what worked. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right now, you're just you're you're shooting in the dark, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, that that idea at least was vetted at some level by people that have actually sold stuff, and um, <laughs> yeah. So, I guess there's that. But well, I think standing out is important because you you realize how many meetings all these companies take and how many writers and scripts they get pitched and everything. So, yeah. I think. I've I've heard different stories recently of people talking about things they did that made them stand out, like different creative presentations for their projects and stuff. But then mm. I was talking to the producer who's going to work with me on my movie, and uh, he was I was asking him about that, like, well, what should I worry about my presentation of this book? Like, should I make a fancy one? Blah blah blah. And he's like, don't waste the money. <laughs> People are going to want it digitally and that's it. So don't even worry about it. And, you know, they're only going to read the first four pages anyway. So, yeah, yeah, that's know. the other thing. It's, it's just... <laughs> Which is the other thing that they only read the first four pages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that somebody actually told you, Ulrich, not to spend money. That's a, yeah. that's refreshing. No, I, I a lot of the advice I've been getting from my people is like you know all about trying to be smart about what you spend your energy and time on, mm -hmm. you know, and your money, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so one thing I've learned for sure is that that that's why it's kind of a bad idea to just write a feature script out of nothing because it's so hard to get anyone to read a full feature script and you need <laughs> you have the idea and have the script in your back pocket but um have have the, the most succinct version of the idea it's the most easy to present and uh, in the most creative way possible basically and right better to have a hundred two-page ideas than it is to have two finished screenplays. Uh, yeah, I, yep, I think so. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I would argue, I would disagree in a, in a sense that if you feel like you're you're going to be able to make that film without the help of uh, you know these big companies, um, and that you maybe need smaller partners to do it, that maybe the scripts are useful. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. If yeah, if you're not relying on you know whatever, like Fox Searchlight to fund your movie, then... <laughs> right. Um, right. You're in a different position than we are. So well, you're, talk I, you're talking about... I don't about know. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I mean, we might... Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I mean, in terms of your path, let's say, the path that you're on is a different path than we're on. We're just trying to get like a feature film made with resources that we can put together ourselves. Yeah. Whereas you're, yeah. you're definitely relying on like more of a pit set yeah. traditional pitch process. And, and you guys will probably have your second movie done before <laughs> I've even taken a pitch. So I know we just met that the last two people we talked to before you came on were people that seem to have like really shot way past us doing like really cool things. 
Yeah. It's like, it's hard to hear that when you're like spending years and years on stuff or like not, not a lot's happening in your life. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, reading variety is the, like a punch in the gut every morning, you know, yeah. it's like all these other people are doing amazing things. Why <laughs> yeah. am I not doing amazing things? Yeah, it's like things? 30 something white guy gets another like cool, like sci-fi movie. It's like, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it just it's so much of it though is timing and the circle of people that you're around yeah, I, yeah. but so i think my challenge to you is just if it's not working where you are now i would just try to expand your network in any way that you can yeah yeah it's you know? that's kind of like and, what i was thinking when i was like you know i'm just gonna quit work it's like this isn't working yeah, right so i have to change something um, yeah right. and then just devote right. yourself to filmmaking full-time basically yeah, for, until the money runs out and then I'm in real right. trouble. <laughs> well, if you just make a bunch of stuff, I feel like that's going to be super useful, right? Like maybe, I don't know. That's my whole, that's my whole thought process is like, just make things and it'll be great. Yeah. Know? I mean, and, and who cares, right? Just if you want to make something, I don't know, just make it. It doesn't mean it has to like change your career or something. Right. Just like, yeah, just the process of getting stuff done and putting it out in the world yeah. naturally just creates opportunities and also helps you grow as a, as a filmmaker. So you, I think it, you can't lose by just making stuff. No. I, don't, I mean, in, unless you're spending way too much money on it for some reason. <laughs> but I mean, Yeah. But yeah, or way too much time. It's not hard to, to not do that. So Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you got to run. I have five last questions that we've been asking filmmakers on the podcast. You did not get a chance to answer these when you were on way back in episode 50 something. So I'd like to ask you them now. Sure. Okay. So uh, the idea of this is kind of like lightning round questions where trying to keep your answers to a few sentences, a paragraph, you know, succinct. Okay. So number one. David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get 70% of what you want on a film. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? Um, yeah, that, that sounds really good. Um, uh, I mean, I don't really have a way to measure that necessarily, but if I would say <laughs> based off what we were talking about when we were talking about the pitch, I'd say I was around 70%, maybe closer to 60 So. Um, yeah, 70%, I think is really good. Number two, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Um, I'd say that I come up with ideas that people think have a cool concept, but then I tend to, um, focus on super personal, um, probably not as interesting to other people parts of what that concept is. And they always say, Oh, why don't you do this with the concept? And I, I just don't generally think that way. And that's probably a problem. So, um, I struggle with that a lot. <laughs> and number three, if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, be, be like a traditional animator, draw all the time draw more um, because then you can just make anything if you can just draw number four do you have a goal as a filmmaker um yes 
<laughs> should I say what the goal is? Or <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, yeah we'd goal. love to hear it. Uh, I, I would I love like. It. It's this. It's a, these are all yes or no questions. Yes. No. <laughs> I would like to direct a, a a trilogy of like giant fantasy uh, movies. Wow, that's awesome. It's ambitious. Yeah. So number five is making movies hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. <laughs> it's like impossible. <laughs> well, it's not impossible. You've done it. Yeah, but yeah, th- th- like a movie movie is, yeah. yes, for sure. Right now, I'm sure it feels to you that getting a movie made is really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you're doing it yourself, even if you're just, screw it, I'm going to make a feature, that's, yeah. that's really hard. It is a lot of work. And yeah, that's where Ulrich is right now. We're listening to him put it together. Yeah, it's yeah. It's put just it together. Beginning. Put put the pieces in place. Get, yeah, know? put the pieces in place and hope for the best. Yeah. So how long did it, Kyle? How long did it take you to um, make James? Uh, all in like three years. Yeah, it takes a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, these kind of films. I mean, if if there weren't that many VFX, it would have been six months, but. Yeah. Right, right. Those visual <laughs> effects, man, they just get you, don't they? They'll get yeah, you every time. It just takes forever. Just absolutely yeah. takes forever. Well, dude, don't lose heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, trying not to, you know? Yeah, that's I know that's frustrating. One day you'll be past all this and you'll look back and you won't even remember what it felt like to be <laughs> in this moment. Yeah, I think I will remember. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I will. <laughs> You're scarred. Yeah, well, I think we all are at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming back on and filling us in. And yeah. Let thanks us know for having me, guys. Develop. If, if there's any huge breakthroughs along the way, we'd love to have you come back on and tell us, like, what did work? Like, what did change for you? Like, how, uh, yeah. what was, like, kind of, like, the linchpin for this whole thing to happen? Yeah, for sure. I would I would love to do that. Well, Kyle, thanks so much, man. And Yeah, uh, good to talk to you yeah. guys. All right. So, Kyle um, sounds very frustrated. Yeah, it sounds like it's not the golden, you know, ticket that everyone hopes for. Although in a lot of ways, like you can, you hear what he's doing and what's happening and you can't really say that it's all, it's like bad. Like he's got all these opportunities, all these things in the works. It's just that nothing's really material, materializing for yeah. him. What was it he said that as soon as there's money involved that, oh, yeah, fuck, I forgot that it already. flows down, that things <laughs> yeah. that don't happen. <laughs> Takes Which, longer when there's money yeah. involved. I mean that that's that's really true. I think that's true because like that's sort of what I'm experiencing with the features. Like when you need a certain amount of money, like it's really hard to get it. And then even when you get people to agree to put money into a project, like it's really hard to get them to write the check. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many stories of people that say my my movie's funded, and then they uh, a month or two later they say oh funding fell through, and you're like what well, what happened between those two? Yeah those two moments and i guess yeah just because somebody says i'm going to give you the money they still have to write the check yeah and even if they do sign a contract and everything or even in some cases if they do write the check then maybe they, they could still pull out they could still ask for their money back you know and yeah. it's like if you want to c- continue a relationship with that person you have to do that you know yeah and, or they could potentially even sue you probably i mean you never know <laughs> but well, yeah. i hope that kyle doesn't get too discouraged that things aren't moving faster yeah. I think it's a good lesson to kind of like hear his attitude to the the frustration versus I'm sure how you would react to that is like you would just be like, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep making stuff. Got to right. keep putting things out in the world. And well, I it do just think takes time. It takes because t- these things take so much time that I think if 
if you put all your eggs into like one basket and try to get that done and nothing's happening with it, then you just feel like you're wasting your time. So I feel like when you're in that situation, you're trying to move one project forward. It's not a bad idea to also kind of be thinking about a, a, a plan B or an alt scenario. So that way you don't feel like the one thing that you're pushing forward, if it's not happening, that you're just wasting all that energy and time. Because if it doesn't right. happen, then you just be like, well, there goes two years of my life. Right, right. Which I, I don't, as I was saying that, I was thinking about you and, and the alternate, and I don't know what that means for you, but <laughs> right. here you are about to push this feature forward. You know, like in a year from now, if all you do is focus on pushing your f- feature forward and then it doesn't happen, how are you going to feel? I guess in my mind, like failure is not an option, yeah, you know, like right. I can't, I can't go into this year saying I'm going to shoot the alternate in the fall and then not shoot the alternate in the fall. I think the difference would be like, you know, how I shoot it and like what budget level I shoot it at. I'm basically committing to making this movie in the fall. Oh, you know, so that's, that's, yeah, that's a different scenario. One one way or another. And I I don't think I ever did that before. Like I never really committed to it in that way. So I guess going back to, you know, Kyle and some of the other guests. Yeah, it takes time and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with working on a movie for three, four, five, Mm -hmm. 10 years and being in, you know, quote unquote, the same position because, you know, maybe you're in a new position in your life or as a filmmaker, or as a director or as a producer or writer, or whatever, to actually make the movie that you want to make. And that if I tried to make the alternate a year ago or two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. You know? Right. So well, a thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like how, when you talk to somebody in the middle of a project it's it's very dire. I mean, that's like a really bad time to be in, like that that middle section. Um, on the middle section is like the longest section of anything, and when you get to the other end, it's much easier to be enthusiastic and happy about things. But I think you know when we started the podcast, at those those first probably hundred episodes that you heard me in the middle of the spirit machine. I mean, that was one of the lowest points in my life. And you definitely heard me talk about quitting filmmaking, hating it, uh, not sure what to do, (laughs) you know? So, and hopefully after the spirit machine came out, you heard my attitude change more. And in the last year, I don't even think that I've done like a ton of filmmaking work in, in terms of like narrative films, but I've done a lot of commercial work and I don't feel like I'm like wasting my time. I, I do feel no, like, of course not. Yeah. Everything's like <laughs> hap- th- things are happening, but it's also not contributing to the greater goal of feature filmmaking directly. I feel, but something's happening. Like my, no. I feel like I've, I moved past this sticking point in my life, that middle section of trying to get the spirit machine done. And um, yeah, I mean, there'll be, there'll come another point where I will be in the middle again, but right now I feel like I'm at the beginning, you know, beginning of something else, like beginning of a feature or beginning of a commercial career. I'm not totally sure, but I think the beginning part's the most exciting. And I could definitely hear that with like Lisa and moving to LA. And I can also hear that in Colin with like, getting his film done and and doing this water bottle tour. And then you hear from Kyle, who's kind of in the middle of it. And he he has a different attitude because he's in that section where there's like so much uncertainty and there's not a lot of like hope left, 
You're just like, right. I just don't know what's going to happen. This sucks. Well, I feel like, you know, he, he mentioned briefly about the idea of quitting his job and just yeah. like, you know, going committing to the filmmaking. And I feel like, you know, that might be the right move. That might not be the right move. But I mean, I feel like something to shake it up and, yeah. and put himself in a, in a position where he has to, you know, push things a little harder where he's not as comfortable. You know, I think that might help. You know, yeah. getting get it's hard the to know thing. though when you need to make that change and when you need to stick it out. Because I've definitely like at being somebody who stayed at the same company for fourteen years and had those moments where like I gotta leave because nothing's happening, and then stuck it out and something new has come along. Like has taught me that sometimes patience is important too. Right, you can't right. just like you can't just hop from thing to thing to thing. It's the same thing with relationships. If you don't stick through the hard times, you're not gonna you're not gonna grow. If you just leave <laughs> right. when things get hard, right? Then, you know it doesn't help either. So it's hard to know what the right answer is. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's so many ways to go about a filmmaking career, and so many ways to approach what you're gonna do as an artist. You know, and I think. We're all just figuring it out, you know? Yep. We're all just trying different things and seeing what's going to work. And I think you shouldn't think that the commercial directing is uh, a backward step or a side step. I mean, I feel like it is directly c- contributing to your, you know, continued career as a filmmaker because now you have all this proof that you can, you know, direct and, and do it on a level where it's actually going to make people money, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what's super valuable. And being a full-time director, it's like you, you the commercial part of it seems to be a necessity for like 99% of yeah, directors. That's like, true. Like you can't make a career as a director without having some sort of commercial side to it. And I feel like you doing that part first is, you know, probably a lot better in a lot of ways than, you know, making a movie right. and then just being like, I made a movie. Right. It helps like, secure oh. my financial future. If there's anything we've learned on the podcast, it's that making money from feature films is really tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not impossible. Just Not impossible. very, yeah, very just challenging. Really challenging. Yeah. Cool. Well, cool. well there, there's our Christmas episode, uh, extra long one. Hopefully you guys yeah. did not listen to it on Christmas and you spent it with your families, but right. whenever you do listen to it, happy holidays, um, everyone enjoy it. And we'll talk to you in the new year. Yeah. One last thing really quick. Yeah. Um, Christmas traditions. Like what, what do you do every Christmas? Do you have anything? There's not really any traditions. There's, I, I guess there's not one tradition. My family, so my grandma's from Switzerland. So she brought a lot of things, um, from there that we incorporate into our Christmas, like fondue or rocklet or um, these breads called tress. So there's all these little things that we don't do on a regular basis, but they happen around the holidays. So we'll 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 incorporate something like that during my Christmas time, but there's not like one thing that I'm gonna do. How nice. about you? So like, I just like waking to watch- up early. Yeah, yeah, I just like to watch movies and play games, you know, and just new new things. Like try to watch at least one new movie um around Christmas time, if not on Christmas, but like around Christmas. Are you gonna see I mean, Star Wars for the fourth time? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll see Star Wars <laughs> again in the theater. I maybe it'll probably be more like if somebody I know hasn't seen it and they want to see it. Um, but one thing I will say about Star Wars, and I wanted to say this, is that. If you're if you're not gonna go because whatever you don't like big blockbusters or oh you're tired of Star Wars or or you want to wait for it for the small screen, I'd urge you to go as soon as you can because seeing it with an audience who's seeing it for the first time is really special, especially if there's kids in the audience. It's really 
It's really quite something because like the first screening I went was like half nerds, half children. And then the second screening I went to was all adults and it was so lame. And then the third one I went to <laughs> was again, half nerds, half children. And it was, you could tell it was a lot of people who had who'd seen it for the first time. And oh my gosh, the applause, the cheering, it's, it was magical, man. And like imagining like a kid who's like seven or eight seeing probably their first Star Wars movie in the theater ever, you know? It's like, ah, what a magical experience for them, you know? And uh, I don't know. So I just, I know you said you didn't see it yet and you're not so sure you're going to, but I would say you should see it this Christmas break because it's special, you know, when you get the right audience. I, that that almost sold me, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah another <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, uh, I had enough yeah, Star Wars when I was young. I haven't been too impressed with the last ones. Uh, uh, well, yeah, well, I can do without it. I can okay. live without another Star Wars in my life. All I don't right. need it. Well, Luke Skywalker disagrees with you, but, you know. <laughs> this Anyways. episode of Making Movies is Hard is brought to you by the new Star Wars movie. Go see it now. <laughs> Ulrich is getting paid for this endorsement. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's going to make all the money in the world, so it's not like it needs your support, but it's yeah. like, you know, as far as what it stands for as, as filmmaking and storytelling goes, yeah. I think that's what I think is really important. So It's bigger than a movie. It's bigger than a movie. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Take us out. I'll take us out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to makingmoviesishard.com, where you'll find links to the things we talked about, including websites to all the guests we had, so you can check out their short films and all the other stuff they're working on. And you can reach out and say, hey, I heard you on Making Movies is Hard. You guys are awesome, and I want to be friends. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Um, while you're on our website, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is basically just the show notes delivered to your inbox every Monday morning. So sign up for that. Um, then you don't have to even go to our website anymore. You can just check your email. You can contact us at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And last thing is, as a special present to us for the holidays, if you can go leave us a review on iTunes or any other store where you download this podcast, we would love that. That's like the best gift you can give us. And thanks yeah. everyone for being awesome listeners. We really enjoy doing the podcast mainly because we enjoy hearing from you guys and we know that it makes a big impact on your lives. So we're really happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks everyone for listening and everything and interacting with us. I think that's one of the best parts is when you hear from people either, either through an email or mm -hmm. on this news Facebook group or just on Twitter. It's, it's really special. So thanks to everybody that's for really engaging. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys in the new year. All right. Great 2017. Take See you in 2018. Go. See you in 2018. All right.